Today on Abounding Grace, we're taking a stand for life. It's the church of Jesus Christ that he has left on the earth to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves, to speak out for those that don't have a voice across all the spectrum in issues of injustice, in issues of homelessness, issues of abortion. The church has a voice. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. It's not our opinions. Our opinions don't matter. What matters is what God's Word says. And God says that we're to stand up for life. This is amazing grace. It's hard to imagine and heartbreaking to consider that over 65 million little babies have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. Abortion and the sanctity of life has been at the center of many debates in recent weeks, and we've seen demonstrations all over the country. But what does the Bible have to say on the subject? Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor takes us to the scriptures for a biblical perspective and suggests some practical ways we can get involved in taking a stand for life. God sees every human life as precious, including those in the womb, and we should too. Here's Pastor Ed in Psalm 139. Please, again, take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 139, as that will be the source of our Bible study together, verses 13 through 17, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Life is Precious. Or you could also title today's study, Choose Life. Because life is a gift from God. Life originates in Him, from Him, and to Him. As in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 28 says, In Him we live and move and have our being. It's God's desire that we not only experience and enjoy life here on earth, but it's God's desire through sending His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to give us eternal life as well. Not just to enjoy now, but to enjoy eternal life, like Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to, it is our duty to value, celebrate, and protect life at all stages and it's really tragic, is it not, that in our world today, in our culture, in our country, we've lost the value and the sense of value of life. You could say that our world and our culture and our government, many who have been influenced by our culture, have basically lost common sense. But that's the condition of our world today, and it has been. That's the condition and the results of sin. The only life that seems to be valued today is the one that's living or the one that can make a choice or the value of freedom has been placed above and the value of life. Discussions now surround the quality of life. 
And isn't it interesting, whenever the quality of life is discussed, it's almost always, it almost always leans toward the one that's making the decision, not the one that needs the help. And a discussion along the lines of the quality of life is always a misguided, unbiblical discussion. Life, every life, despite man's feeble opinion of the so-called quality of value, every life's value comes from God and is worthy of breath, care, and love. Whether that life is in the womb or in a hospital bed or a convalescent home, life is to be valued, rescued, and respected. Now, like the proverbial frog in the kettle, the sinful world is warming up around us. While we slowly die a miserable moral death. Frog in the kettle, you say, Ed? Yes. Those that study such things decided at one point in time to take a frog and throw him into a boiling kettle of water. To which the frog said, no way, and jumped right out. Because it makes sense. It was startling to that frog, and it had the ability to jump out too hot. But taking that same frog, they put him back into the kettle of a cooler, warmer water. And then slowly but surely, one little temperature at a time, they began to raise the heat. And before you know it, that water began to boil again, but this time the frog didn't jump out because it didn't recognize what was happening around it. It didn't notice, and it died a slow painful death. That's exactly what's happening in our culture, especially as it relates to the value of life. <laughs> you know, the sad thing about this story and this true story of the frog in the kettle is that some may be listening to, you, to me right now and immediately sympathize with the frog dying. Oh, how could they do that? How could they do that in tests? Why would they do that to a poor frog? How cruel of them to do that kind of research. But the essence of the truth today is not about the frog. It's about human life. Oh, we know that the Bible is very clear that God values the life of animals. Indeed, absolute. But the value of humans is always over and above animals. You could say that God, when he looks down on humanity, he sees us as his crown jewel, the beauty of his creation. God values life. We see that so very early on in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 15, listen, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Humans are the crown jewel of God's creation and worthy of life from the moment of conception. That's true. Life begins at conception. That's what the psalmist declares to us thousands of years before they discovered this literal biblical truth. Here in Psalm 139, we learn that life is in the womb and life begins at conception. Notice with me in Psalm 139, verse 13. It says, For you have formed my inward parts, and you have covered me in my mother's, what does your Bible say? You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame, or you might see a note in your Bible, my bones, the skeletal structure, 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. According to the Bible, there is never a point in time where there is something non-human in the body of a woman, in the womb of a woman. There's never a point in time where something non-human all of a sudden, suddenly, scientifically becomes human. A lot of people try to fix a point in time where they're sort of, you know, subhuman at this point, and then maybe here and over there, and then eventually, eventually that baby in the womb then somehow becomes human. So they use different words. And you have to understand, in the culture that we're in, in the culture we're in, especially if you came up through the public school system, at a very, very early age, already are you beginning to learn, or at least be taught, that there is no God. There are especially no God as it relates to the Bible. And because there's no God, there's no accountability. And because there's no accountability, your trust will not be in God, but in man. In humanistic philosophy. In humanistic psychology. In humanistic ideas. And legalities, if you will. And so from a young age, and at every age-appropriate level, it gets worse, it gets worse. So you'll remember in biology, they begin to share with you the developmental stage of a baby, perhaps. But they didn't use the word baby. They used the word zygote. Remember that? Zygote. You're like, whoa, what's inside of me? Oh, it's just a zygote. Don't worry about it. And then the zygote becomes a fetus. That's a very popular word today, fetus. Very careful not to use the word baby. To dehumanize the humanity that is in a womb. Now, not using the word baby makes what makes that baby in the womb sound so inhuman, so scientific, even medical, and lifeless. Though the humanists would pass it off as just tissue, they're always careful, aren't they, not to say the name baby. Instead, you'll hear fetus far more. But if you look up the word fetus for the definition, you'll notice that it comes to us from the Latin. And it literally means offspring, bringing forth, or even the hatching of young. So even using the word fetus in context means the human offspring that comes from the womb of a woman. And for us, we need to be educated biblically and understand that from conception, life begins. And that precious baby grows at an incredible speed. That baby, God says, even of Jeremiah, when he was a baby, you know, listen to what he says in Jeremiah 1.4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So life begins instantaneously as conception takes place. Then seven days later, tiny, that tiny human implants herself or himself into the mother's uterus. At 18 days, the heart begins to beat. At 21 days, that baby pumps their own blood through separate closed circulatory system. At 28 days, the eye, ear, and respiratory systems begin to form. At 42 days, brain waves are recorded, a skeleton is complete, and reflexes are present. At eight weeks, all the body systems are present. 
At nine weeks, that baby squints, swallows, moves a tongue, and some of you know this about your kids, the baby even can make a fist in the womb and punch mom constantly. But even at this phase, they're not felt yet. All this is happening, and the baby's only about an ounce. And mom doesn't even feel her yet. At 11 weeks, their spontaneous breathing, fingernails, and all their body systems are working. At 12 weeks, they weigh one ounce. At 16 weeks, the baby in the womb has their genital organs clearly defined, begin to grasp with their hands, swims, kicks, turns, and even somersaults in the womb. At 18 weeks, their vocal cords work, and in the womb, the baby can cry. At 20 weeks, the baby has hair on their head, or not, weighs one pound, and is about 12 inches long. And wouldn't it be great if we could just climb into the womb and see it all for ourselves? I mean, there is the ultrasound technology, and it gives you that black and white picture that has some definitions, but then they invented the 4D ultrasounds. I remember going to the 4D ultrasound for my grandson. It was a special appointment that we went into the room, and we had TVs all up there, and they used the technology, and I mean, it was amazing to get a glimpse into the womb. I know I hear, I haven't studied too much on it, but I hear they're also now inventing a 5D. Whatever that other D is, I don't know, but it's going to be amazing of what we can see in the womb today. You see, what makes abortion so hard and difficult is that we live in a society that has legalized it, accepted it, and even celebrates it. What that means is that a woman, and in some cases a teenage girl, can walk into a clinic and in a few hours end their pregnancy, ending the life of the baby in their womb. Not, not only that, they could also go down to the pharmacy and buy a pill over the counter that they can take within hours of having intercourse and will kill any baby that might be conceived. Not only that, I had a man come up to me after the service last night and share with me his story that we live in a culture where in this particular place his daughter went to school public school and told the nurse that she was pregnant and without forming her mom or dad they put her on a bus and sent her 200 miles outside of the county and allowed her and took her into a clinic where she had an abortion and her mom and dad didn't find out for years later and that's celebrated because it's legal and because it's accepted and because it's so common. And we as the church have a duty to stand up for what is right, what is moral, and what is God's reflection on life. It's unfortunate that many today have the authority and the legal right to kill the babies that are in their womb. Most of, that most of the time, without any second thoughts, bringing great damage to mom, to boyfriend or husband. In some cases, the boyfriend or husband doesn't even know it happened. And in our culture, we pay taxes. We pay taxes to improve the roads, and we pay taxes to put street lights up. And unfortunately, those in charge will often use our tax dollars to fund other people's abortions. That's our culture. It was in 1973 when nine of our most trusted people in the country, the Supreme Court, decided that choice was more valuable than life. And the arguments in that court proceeding, you know it commonly as Roe v. Wade, 
They, the arguments surrounded the right of some people not getting the chance to be born. They decided that babies in the womb were, in, were not as important as a woman's choice and could be eliminated at the whim of another human being legally. Who gave them that right? The creator? No. No, they gave themselves that right. It was given by men. Men that were accountable to other men, forgetting their accountability to God. And so it's been 47 plus years since that ruling. And the result? 65,570,169 lives ended. That was the number from Friday at 11.10 a.m. Because there's a website that tracks these things. You can actually pull it up and you'll see the numbers track of how many abortions are taking place in real time. I'm certain the number has changed. I've taught this message a few times uh, over the years of the life of our church in one form or another, and the numbers have drastically increased even from previous years when I've shared this. 65.6 million lives ended. Does that put a lump in your throat? Cause your stomach to sink? It's sad to think of all this loss of life. It's literally sobering. I mean, think about loss of life. Think about another atrocious way life is lost through wars and a few wars that our nation alone has been involved in. For example, in the Revolutionary War, they recorded 4,435 deaths. In the Civil War on both sides, they recorded 498,332 deaths. In World War I, they recorded 116,708 deaths. In World War II, they recorded 407,316 deaths. For the Korean War, there was 25,604 deaths. In Vietnam, we lost 58,168. In the Gulf War, 529. In Operation Iraqi Freedom, 4,373. Abortion, since 1973, 65.6 million lives lost. And I don't know what happened to you as you heard, and you heard that number, but for me, my heart sinks a little. You can feel it in the room. Things get heavy when we talk about such subjects, especially from a biblical perspective. You're not even in the room with us. You may be downstairs in the overflow or on the radio or watching online, and you feel the heaviness because it is a heavy topic, and it's an important one for us as the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ that he has left on the earth to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. To speak out for those that don't have a voice. Across all the spectrum. In issues of injustice. In issues of homelessness. Issues of abortion. The church has a voice. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. It's not our opinions. Our opinions don't matter. What matters is what God's word says. And God says that we're to stand up for life. And many of you, you have more capacity in your life to do this. You may not feel like it, but you have more capacity for in your life to do this. From the very beginning of our church, we have supported an organization here in Aurora that's known as Alternatives Pregnancy. They stand in the gap on the front lines to help people when they're thinking about having an abortion. And they rescue many, many babies from those abortion clinics. They weren't alternatives when we started, but over the years they changed their name and their, the direction and the, the depth of their ministry. But we support alternatives. Some of you may have a desire to go and help them. We also support an organization here in Aurora called Colorado Family Life, started by a couple, just two people, that had a burden to help teenage parents. 
They don't all help exclusively teenage parents, but a lot of them are indeed kids that are having kids. Helping them as they've made the choice to keep the baby, but understanding what a long road ahead awaits them. To help them in their relationship, to help them even if they're young and married, to help them with skills, help them with job training. Some of you perhaps have capacity to help at Colorado Family Life. As a church family, we also support an organization, I believe uh, the Colorado chapters in the Springs, called Save the Storks. This is a beautiful ministry. What they do is primarily, they do a lot of things, but primarily they equip vans with mobile equipment to do the ultrasounds. They have ultrasound machine in there. And they drive around to strategic locations because statistics show that when a mom sees the baby in her womb, she says no to abortion. And it's taken off the table. Some of you have capacity to help and go serve with Save the Storks. Some of you have capacity to adopt a child. That's what God's will is for you. To open up your home and bring a child in and raise that child. Raise that child whether or not, whether or whether or not that baby was saved from abortion. You are opening your home and being available because you have capacity. Some of you have capacity to enter into the foster care system here. You can do that in a couple of different ways. Some of you have capacity right now as foster parents, because that's just how you're made, where you can open up your home temporarily for children whose parents are really going through something, maybe drug addiction, maybe they've gone to prison, and their kids get put into the system. And here the church is being invited into the system. So for a temporary time, because you can do it. You bring your children in, you love them, care for them, and when their parents get back on their feet, you send them back to their parents. Even still, some of you have capacity to enter into the foster care system, but to go one step further. And that is you enter into the foster care system, fostering to adopt, where you bring these high-risk kids into your home. And there's really very little hope that their parents will ever get right. So they go into the foster adoption process. And you have capacity. See, the church, we have capacity to make a difference in our culture. Pastor Ed Taylor on some of the ways we can make a difference in our culture in this whole matter of abortion. Life is precious. That's the title we've given this message today on Abounding Grace. And we'd encourage you to share it. Just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com or you can listen through the Calvary Church app. And we're really excited about this month's offer, a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. This book will help you determine from Scripture the practical ways to resolve your conflicts and how to stop them from reoccurring. You'll also learn what the first step should be to building a solid foundation for your marriage and give you a plan for building the relationship you're seeking. That's Married and How to Stay That Way. We'll send it your way with a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. And you know what? We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And here's a question. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and your prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. 
Pastor Ed, some of our listeners may not realize this, but you were adopted, and you're going to share a bit of your story tomorrow. And adoption is a wonderful alternative to abortion, isn't it? It's true, Larry. I was adopted, and I'm so grateful that my birth year was in our country when abortion was illegal. And although there was an option uh, for my birth mother uh, to obtain an abortion illegally, uh, she chose not to, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for life. And even thinking in our own life as teenage parents, Marie and I, we too chose to keep our son, and we actually chose to raise him as well, as hard and as difficult as it was. And so adoption is a beautiful gift of God, of many children that can come into families, like my parents. My parents were unable to conceive, and they desired to have children, and they adopted two children into their home. And so you're right, I'm super grateful. Um, And just seeing what God has done through my life, uh, sparing my life, I'm forever grateful. I'm also grateful for my mom and dad for adopting me into their home and raising me as if, because I was their own. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. We'll continue our special message, Life is Precious, tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.